Back at it again. Something I've started to piece together, and this is something that I reinforce in myself every now and then, is that uh, things will never be perfect. There will never be any point in your life where you simply sit and say, okay, that's it, I'm done, you know, no need. Well, there is, but only the fates know when that specific moment you go to the old gods is. The reality of life is one of constant motion, constant improvement. And I hearken back to the Roman Empire on this one. There was never a moment when Rome was completely perfect. And it was the moment that they thought things were perfect. It was when everything fell apart, or started to anyhow. The ironies of life is that we often seek this end goal, seek this thing of perfection. Seek this monumental end point, the end game, if you will. The reality of life isn't that simple. The reality is, you constantly improve. You constantly gain another mission. It's paraphrase, very wise movie character. Peace has cost you your victory. Peace has cost you strength. Victory has made you weak. And that's something I'm coming to terms with. As much as rest is a tool and a weapon, it should only remain a tool and a weapon. It should not. Your goal should not be just to rest. Your goal should not be just to rest on your laurels, as the ancients would say. The reason for the sort of Damascus of old legend, the reason for the phrase memento mori, is to recognize the fact that, in the end, the fates always snip the thread. In the end, we're always called back to the to the underworld, to Sharon's boat, one form or another. Whether we end up in Elysium, whether we end up by the River Lethe, or whether we even end up in Tartarus for our great hubris and crimes, the ardent reality of life is we walk as humans. We were created by the gods, and as such we have their spark, but having said that, the gods exist solely beyond our comprehension, and the one thing we can do in this life is to live so that we may honor them. I was talking to a very good friend of mine tonight uh, through voice message on Messenger, and the um, her and I came to a few conclusions, and one of them being was that the gods come to you in your darkest hours, in your times of need. It sounds a bit cliche, but I can easily testify to that myself. As I mentioned in my last episode, there was a moment where Jupiter sent thunderbolts to me in the night. And there was a moment um, at that darkest point where I looked up at that time, prayed to any god above, and prayed, just prayed. Anger, any deity that was out there and existed and spoke to me and Jupiter himself sent those three lightning bolts 
in a clear sky, kind of just like this. It's clear night sky, no rain, no wind, nothing. The interesting part being is it took me a good number of years, and even I only found out recently that it was Jupiter. Previously, I thought it was Thor, I thought it was another thunder god, but it was Jupiter. And I knew because I found the very epithet that spoke, he of the night thunderer. I then found out recently that one of the greatest um, helps to myself and my family as a child, uh, one of the greatest families we knew uh, in the neighborhood, even if I didn't have much, to, much good to say about the neighborhood, that was always one of the highlights, the key points, the spots of good in a sea of gray. I found out that the name of that wonderful lady and her, her son was my good friend in elementary school, but the name of that lady paralleled the name of a goddess. And I think the moment I pieced that together, I teared up. I was just overcome with emotion for a moment, and... And it taught me there are no coincidences, at least not with my life. And that I have taken the path that I've taken for a very good reason. And that my knowledge has expanded and grown and maneuvered as necessary. And the phrase that I've taken on as a motto that everything happens for a reason is 100% undeniable fact. Everything does happen for a reason. But our knowledge and our emotions can't quite wrap our heads around that reason and it may take years for us to fully comprehend the reason for the situations in which we found ourselves a few years prior. I know it's taken me years to discover that. I know it's taken me a long time to recognize that certain things the gods can only speak on and maneuver and work around, and that there are certain things within this temporal earth that I can control and maneuver and ignite, if you will. The interesting channel to me is, uh, is recognizing that I can change my mind. And I'm not talking about in terms of decisions, I'm talking about I can reformat my mind. And it's a bit of a callback to, um, to Carr's book, The Shallows, which I referenced in my last episode. It talked about how a new medium has kind of settled in and reformatted all of our brains. But I think the very concept that we can reformat our brains, and neuroplasticity, and all those things are in itself a gift from the gods. But as Graham Hancock says, we are a species with amnesia. We are, again, created by the gods. We do have something of the guard spark within us. But the majority of us have forgotten who and what we truly are. In the modern world, we sit here detached from our, from our heritage, detached from tribe, detached from the things that made our ancestors strong and solid and together. And that's not to deny that our ancestors didn't go on journeys or step away from family and city as need be. But we've lost quite a bit from those olden days. We've lost or forgotten quite a bit from the days of ancient Greece and ancient Rome. From the days where the Iliad, the Odyssey, Metamorphoses by Ovid, and the Aeneid were written. 
And I think my... My and many others turning to the... The Hellenic gods, or in my case, the Diaconsentis. Is our attempt at reconnecting with that ancient primal spark that we have lost. And when I was speaking to my friend earlier, uh, she makes videos about Hellenic uh, theology and the mythos of Hellenismus. One of the things I did notice was that uh, there's a glow about her when she speaks of these things. And it's almost this, this beatific smile, this beatific glow from within her. And it's this wisdom inside of her shining through and it kind of casts a light, so to speak. And I think in some ways that could be a bit of the God Spark shining through. God Spark of Athena, she who grants wisdom. And she who seeks knowledge and the expression of such in all forms. Mine... I think it's both the beauty and the curse. I am piecing together what my path is. But I think on some deeper level, it's the things that I've overlooked or barely noticed or, hell, the things that I've attempted to uh, tamp down, so to speak. I've been similar to Aragorn from Lord of the Rings for a good number of years. Or my inner core. And even the reactions of people around me have screamed out that I'm a leader. I will lead man one day, in one form, and in some way. And that I am to one day take my rightful place on the throne, but I've... tamped that down, overlooked it, stopped away from it, in fear of repeating the mistakes of my ancestors. But the more I discover ancestors, even those I never knew before, the more I recognize that their blood sings through me the more I recognize that the actions that I am taking parallel theirs. Both the actions of my father, his father before him, and even the branch families. Because, let's be honest, every single last name that you speak of has branch families. And I've discovered quite a bit about the branch family that I'm descended from. And in an odd way, it reinforces and... reinforces and rebuilds quite a bit of theories that I've held in my mind but I've never paid much attention to but it's been this nagging theory in the back of my head it's been this nagging sense of this is why I'm drawn to this thing this is why I'm drawn to that this is why these are the things I keep going back to day in and day out you know and I think I mentioned this to somebody when he was asking me why am I taking certain plans that I'm taking, why would I even think of joining the National Guard down the line and things like that? Why do I support that sort of pro-military bent in my views? And I told him it sings in my blood. And those were probably the most honest words that I had ever spoke with regards to that career path. Some might say I'm an idealist when it comes to... Uh, that career path to military service, to the military in general, but my disgust isn't with the military. My disgust is for those fat corporate suits who uh, send the flowers of our generation to die while they remain unpunished. But that's a tale for a different day. And if humanity doesn't get them, the gods assuredly will. 
And yet, again, I end up going back to things again and again and again. The things that I've stepped away from, whether out of fear, whether out of not wanting to acknowledge it, whether I've not, you know, whether I've, I've stepped away from it, you know. Or as I've said, the fear of repeating my ancestors' mistakes. But if my ancestors were soldiers, poets, learned men, chiefs of staff, men of letters and a men of sword, then who am I to deny what my ancestors have already laid down? That foundation, that bloodied brickwork that stretches back through centuries, and that echoes in me today, even in the moments where I'm not attempting to, and in a way that's the beauty of everything that I do. Majority of what I do isn't intentional. That sounds surprising given some of the actions I take, but the majority of me isn't intentional. You know, maybe it should be, and maybe that would be a better way of going about things, but for the most part, it's not. And yet, there's one compliment that I keep getting day in and day out from <laughs> not only my friend, but even from a chick I'm trying to date. Um, both, as well as a few others, have said that I come off as incredibly sincere, and I, I find that interesting, because to me, that's normal, you know? It's like people saying I'm very fair-minded and very just and very... Um, yeah, fair and just, you know, which have become almost like, have become mockeries of the definition nowadays, but to me it's normal. And I think perhaps that's the beauty of our lives. As we live our lives, we find things that we naturally are, and that naturally pulls out of us. And then it draws back to a parallel. And this was something I used to ask my ex all the time, but I could never quite verbalize it. I could never quite spit out the concept behind it. But now I recognize, now that I read about neuroplasticity, now that I've talked about how your mind can physically affect the body, and uh, even elements of your body can physically, physically affect your mind. For example, the inflammation, um, the back of your neck, right around the central nervous system, that's been linked to depression. Ditto with... Um, certain diets inflaming your gut which then travels all the way up that said central nervous system and then everything just reacts negatively so you see in a way people have tried to uh, people have tried to become deterministic about certain uh, points of fact but the reality is there are things you can change there are things you can overcome and Rectify, And then there are things that, you know, you're kind of stuck with, but you can use as a tool, you know. But that's the difference and the beauty of life. Finding out what can be changed and finding out how can you change it for the better. And the beauty of life is you can always change your mind and your attitude. Those things are free. And yet the... Art of necessity is the very thing that most people attempt to change are the very things they can't. Their uh, jaw structure, their uh, body shape, things along those lines. Think about why people get plastic surgery. Think about why people dye their hair, wear contacts, so on and so forth. Think about why people um, take steroids, take human growth hormone, things along those lines. Think about what gets pushed out in society and the rationale and the reasons behind what gets pushed out in society on either end of the spectrum. Think about um, fashion statements, so to speak. What was fashionable in the 60s, 70s, and 80s? 
contrast that to what's fashionable now what's stayed the same what's changed and are the people that are pushing those things out is it a natural phenomenon or is it something that's becoming artificially manipulated and that again is drawing back that parallel to what I used to talk about with my ex is are the very things that you are and that you choose to be are they coming from a genuine source of you from the genuine core inside of you are they just what your circumstances have pushed upon you because I can tell you there's been quite a bit of habit that I've had that I now know have just been circumstances being pushed upon me of living in Philly, you'll hear sirens and trucks, good chunk of the day. Going back again to what I was referring to, how much of who and what you are is what's naturally occurring inside of you, versus how much is it because of what your circumstances have pushed upon you, and I can tell you from experience that thinking, thinking that your circumstances that surround you are all that you will ever have. I can tell you that is a very toxic mentality because it was a mentality that I held together for years. I took the worst aspects of my life, the worst events of my life, and I thought that that's all that I would ever have. And the greatest epiphany I've ever had in my life, second to knowing the gods have selected me in some way, shape, or form, the second greatest epiphany of my life was recognizing that, no, I deserve better and I can be better and I can modify and change my mind and circumstances to better that I can withstand what would crack other people and I can bear it all calmly and I can control what I can control, the paraphrase of Stoics until I can control more and become more and become better I'll let you chew on that I'll be around